0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by staff writer Jacob Beltran. He joins the show today to discuss the shooting of a 13-year-old boy by an SAPD officer. Uh, Welcome to the show, Jacob. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We're in the, You're going to be the first episode of In-Depth in the new office, in the new podcast studio, so that's awesome. Wow, this is quite an honor. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, let, let's begin. Let's talk about, can you give me a brief overview of the story?
1: So this story has been going on since June 3rd when a teenager was driving a stolen uh, Toyota Corolla. And unfortunately, when police were trying to pull him over, uh, signaling him to stop, he backed up. And reportedly drove into a police vehicle, crashing into the driver's side door and forcing the officer who was in that car to have to crawl out through the window of that vehicle. As soon as this collision happened, another officer saw this happening and fired a shot at the young man, fatally wounding him. And he died later that evening.
0: What about the car? let's, Let's backtrack a little bit. What can you tell me about the stolen car? How did he come in possession of that stolen car to begin with? How did this 13-year-old boy uh, get this stolen car?
1: So exactly how Andre came to be in the driver's seat of this stolen red Corolla is not yet known publicly. But police did release a report of the day this Corolla was stolen back on May 22nd, which was about a week before this uh, deadly confrontation with police. From what we understand, there were two suspects involved in this. And there were two people that were there when the vehicle was stolen. One of the suspects initially asked for a lighter he could use uh, from a woman inside the vehicle. When she said she didn't have one, that's when he made his move. And he pointed a gun at her, ordered both her and the passenger who was with her out of the vehicle. And when that happened, there was a second suspect in waiting who took their belongings and got into the car. And then both of them drove off, leaving the two of them there.
0: You mentioned earlier about why it's important for police to not release too many details about juveniles. Can you talk a little more about
1: that? San Antonio police, it seems they really want to be open and transparent in this case. But there are very strict laws here in Texas regarding information that can be released when it comes to juveniles. And in cases like this, they're walking a fine line between information that they know they can easily release publicly versus information that would otherwise uh, allow a juvenile a second chance at life if it were, if it were to get out there uh, into the public, which tends to be the crux of these laws. Ananda Thomas with uh, Act 4 SA, on the other hand, has said that police can release more on this case, but there's uh, some steps that need to be taken, And of course, as you'll see in our story, like pixelating the boy's face and uh, anything else that needs to be redacted, they can do that and still release this footage to the public.
0: Also in your article, you mentioned how this boy uh, had lost his sister recently. And can you talk a little bit about, his state of mind during this, during this whole incident?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, in talking with the family, his aunt has told me that he took the loss of his sister very hard. It, uh, sent him kind of on a downward spiral, so to speak, you know, and he may have been hanging out with some of the wrong crowd uh, when this happened. And from what I've been told, he actually ran away uh, on the day that his sister was being buried. Uh, it's it's a very hard thing for many to, people to cope with loss. And even though you have a good family support system, sometimes we inevitably turn to the wrong spot for help. Combine that with the fact that now Texas Department of Family Protective Services has taken away some of Linda Hernandez's children, and the family is really in kind of a storm here. You're dealing with the loss of two kids uh, at the hands of violence of some form, and then you've got four children that were being taken for reasons that we're still trying to find out ourselves, and that we know it is going to come out uh, over these next few weeks as they matriculate through the local court system.
0: Uh, okay. Yesterday, you and I attended a rally for uh, the right in front of police headquarters. Uh, what can you tell us about that rally? Who organized it, and who who was there?
1: Right. So Ananda Thomas, who I mentioned earlier, really spearheaded that rally. And there were a lot of local organizations that were there, as well as other people who have lost loved ones in officer-involved shootings. Just to name some of the um, organizations, or the Black Freedom Factory. I know there was at least one member of the local Brown Berets. And other family members that were there include Debbie Jones-Bush. She's the aunt of Marquise Jones, who was killed back in 2014 out of outside of what was once Chachos and Chalukis. You did mention in the article that there was a witness who saw
0: how the police were maybe handling AJ a little roughly. Uh, Yeah. Can you just
1: talk about that witness and what, what he saw? So uh, Jesse Hernandez is the witness that we spoke to. You know, he he was standing outside. It happened right outside of his house, of course. So at 1.15 a.m., he tells me "Here's hears this siren and then he hears the gunshot. So, of course, he runs out front to see what's going on. And that's when he catches the part of the arrest that happened after the boy had already put his hands up and got down on the ground afterwards And, um, of course, it was dark, so he wasn't able to see much of the wound that the boy had. But from his perspective, he described it as it looked like the boy was uh, being roughly handled, having just been shot. And he seemed to recall that there were handcuffs on him. More so when the boy was being placed on the stretcher. And I think this is kind of where uh, we've got some of the conflicting statements between police and the witness. Uh, But police who have reviewed the body camera footage have since told me that he was not handcuffed while they were. And what uh, Jesse was witnessing were police frantically rushing to find that gunshot wound to try to put that. Uh, some form of uh first aid to help stop the bleeding that comes with being shot, and so they did that, and then they began to load him on the stretcher and that 's when, by law by the uh by the police department's policy, they had to handcuff him when they who was on the stretcher, really as a safety precaution for the e m s and as they have had people in the past you know try to elude police at that point. Uh, people who seem to be recovering or uh, regaining their composure after being wounded in a confrontation. Of course, it's hard for anybody to see a 13 year old boy going through this. Uh, and I'm sure, as you're standing and watching from a distance, you know Jesse recalling all of this. It's it's hard. It's just hard to see that.
0: As we wrap this up, and as I know you got to go, where does this case stand now? What what are we waiting for? Uh, what's what's next here?
1: You know, the family really just wants to know what happened. You know, in talking with uh, AJ's aunt, she just wants to know the full truth, whether it hurts or not, to see how things went down from every angle that is available, whether it be from an officer's body cam or the dash cam of their vehicles. We know there were two patrol vehicles there, so there's video footage from that. And you know they just, like I said they just want the truth, uh, and that in and of itself is a form of justice, you know, in having that out there for the public to see, and that'll really clear up the air of what happened. I think uh, when it comes to a situation like this. And 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 kind
0: of lastly here, I just kind of wanted to know, like, as a journalist, what's it been like to cover this? Has have you heard met any resistance from like the family members or from
1: police? You know, um, in this story, I think people have been wanting to talk. Both sides really want their stories known. And, you know, we all say sides, right. But we're all kind of uh, we're all one community. We all have to work together for our children. And at the end of the day, you know, people have stated this was a 13 year old boy who was shot. That's hard for anybody to handle, whether you're. The mother, whether you're on the side of police or whether you're a reader or even a reporter, you know, as a father myself, you know, it's hard to understand these details, uh, knowing that any anybody can make a mistake and be in that situation. One of the things that stands in the way the most are the laws that protect juveniles, and they're there for a good reason. You know, these kids do deserve a second chance, and I think... Uh, What upsets a lot of people in this case is that here's a young boy who maybe he was doing some something wrong. Maybe he wasn't. um, But now it's it's you can say that he won't have a second chance to rectify that. He won't get to learn from this mistake. And I think that's what upsets a lot of people in a case like this.
0: All right, Jacob. Well, thank you so much for appreciate your time. Thank you.